Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Uh, But uh, she and I travel everywhere together. Uh, we have a good time. Um, we we love. We got to the point where we really love to be around people. And I'm not the type of person. If you knew me when I was a kid, Bonnie Bonnie probably could. If she thought back, she'd probably remember. I was an introvert. I, I mean, I was massive introvert. I could turn burgers all day long, but boy, I did. I was an introvert. Um, Psalm 67, if you will. This is kind of a regular message and kind of a patriotic message. It's going to go patriotic towards the end. But uh, I want you to see some things because this, the principle that's in this message will help each and every one of us. One One of the things that I see is so many times we stop moving forward and we think, my work is done. When you are retired, your work is not done. You got a new job. And, uh, and for old men, it's usually the honeydew list that didn't get done for the last 45 years. But the fact is, when you retire, that just means that now you've got more time to do something else. Uh, the best thing you can ever do with as much of your free time as possible is give it to God. You would be astounded how, how freeing up that is, is to, to let God guide your life. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. In Psalm 67, in Psalm 67, verse 1, it says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth. Now, he's saying this. This is a psalmist. He's preaching to the Israelites, or he's singing this for the Israelites. But the fact is, this is true for you and I, too. As children of God, and I'm preaching to children of God, if you are not saved, you are in a good place. Talk to anybody in here who knows the Lord. If they're walking around with the Bible, chances are good they know the Lord is their Savior. You talk to them, and they will show you. You talk to me, talk to Brother John, our wives, anybody else. You can talk to us, and we'll be glad to show you how you can know you have a home in heaven. And uh, I will tell you this, we would enjoy it, and we would rejoice in that. This says that thy way may be known upon the earth. Christian, don't ever walk around saying, I don't know what God's will is. Now, if he's got you between things, you might be seeking his face, and maybe he's going to keep you on a string for a little bit, waiting for his direction. But there's certain things you can do. This message is not about that, but you can be in your Bible, be praying, be in church, be giving, be be tithing, giving above a tithe. Uh, be, be used of your pastor, ask him, what do you want me to do? And then when he tells you, uh, even if it's not a job that you think you should do, if he tells you to do it, it's a job you should do. Uh, you say, why is that? Because there are jobs that God's going to give you that you don't think you should do. Just ask Moses. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't do that. Uh, God has a way, and his way for you is, can be known. He already knows what he wants you to do. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Did I tell you Isaiah 55? I did. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 55 and verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, 
and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. By the way, this is, this is something we could take for our daily lives. Do you not, and don't raise your hand, please, I don't want to know because I think you're nice people, but I know the truth. The Bible says you're sinners, you're wicked, your heart is desperately wicked, okay? And, and your heart is deceitful. Why? Because you're, st- you're still you're still clothed with a sinner's body, okay? So, you know, the thing is, that can point to us, let the wicked forsake his way. Well, you know, we always got to keep turning that wickedness back. We got to turn that old man back. We got to turn that old nature back. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Now, can I tell you something? You don't always need to know all of the turns. How many of you use a GPS? The men are not admitting, oh, some of the men are admitting it. Yeah, you know, men, we, we always, we knew our way. You don't stop at a gas station. The wife says, why don't you go ask somebody? By the way, now you ask them, they don't know. They only live around the corner because they can't find any other job close by because they can't find their way home if they don't have a job close by. Some of them are not too bright these days. But I digress. The fact is, we use a GPS and we plug it in and it's got, uh, the GPS actually to come here is very simple. Uh, we turn left out of our driveway, we turn left on Bennett, we turn right on Long Branch, left on John Glenn. We, get out, we, go, we go left on the highway, get off on the right-hand side to go to the throughway. There's a lot of turns in there. Okay. Then when we get on the throughway ramp, we take a left to head towards Albany, and from there on out, we can sleep for two hours. So I don't know if my wife slept at all this morning. I did. Uh, so she may have, but we did get here, so she's kept it between the ditches, and, and I didn't hear any loud crashes or anything, so she didn't run anybody off the road. So that's good. And then we get here and get off. It's the, the 890. It's 890. 890. And then there's about half a dozen more turns that I can't remember what those turns are. So, but we didn't need to know all of those turns. We only needed to know the next turn. And really, think about this. When God is leading you, sometimes he does not want you to know what, the net, what those turns down the way are because you might turn around and go home. Amen. My father often said he would never take a church in the barn until he took one in the basement of a bank. That's a long story. I'll tell, you, tell, you, tell, you later, tell it to you later if you want. But he took a church over the phone. You should never take a church over the phone. Um, and the 40 people that were there weren't there when we got there. Uh, one crazy woman with two rowdy little kids, and that's about it. And the rest of it was Overton's, which we populated the church pretty good. There were seven of us. But um, the, the fact is, when it came time to take the church in a barn in Baldwinsville, New York, my father saw potential. But when we were in Missouri, he wouldn't have seen potential in that church. A church in a barn? Are you serious? He grew up on a farm. He knows what barns are intimately. He did not want to take a church in a barn, but he did. You don't need to know all of the turns, and God will bring you to the right answer as he goes. This is not the message. What time do you normally wrap up? About 3.30? Shazam! We got time. Huh? About an hour? So I want to be done. All right, a little bit.
3.30 is not a little bit. <laughs> all right. Go to the book of Hebrews. We are not going to turn to all of the scriptures in this message because it is a longer message, or it can be. Um, I, will, I will give you the references. I know you guys like to write outlines and stuff. Or Actually, Brother John gives you the outline so you don't have to write them. So today you've got to write because I didn't send him my outline. Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, we know that this is the, uh, this is the Christian Hall of Fame. Uh, but this Christian Hall of Fame goes all the way back into the Old Testament. One Old Testament saying after another, and we're just going to talk about a few of them. There are different men in the Bible that have accomplished great things. And I want you to, to put this premise in the back of your mind and keep this, keep this thought in mind. Okay? You and I read everything in this book from a historical posi uh, position. We have a historical perspective. When we see somebody that did something great, we say, boy, that was a great man or that was a great woman. But for those people that did those great things, it was not as we see it. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't. First man we're going to look at here is verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you realize that in Genesis chapter Five, we see Enoch who walks with God. He walks with God for 300 years. Now I have a message about that. Enoch walked with God. His great-grandson Noah also walked with God. And those are the only two men that you see that said of them. That was, I think that the Bible gives us certain things that God thinks is the most important thing about those people. And I believe that it takes a lifetime, hey, 300 years, how many of you would like a 300-year lifetime without all the arthritis and the bad eyes and the false teeth and all the other stuff that goes with it? The surgeries? <clears throat> Nobody? I'd, I'd take a 300-year life. I, I, I'd like to, I would like to see 300 years of history. You realize 300 years of history is more than, almost more than we've got. It's, it's more than we have as, as an official nation. And it's only a little less than we have from the time the pilgrims came. But I digress. This first man had a close friend. He spent a great deal of time with him. That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't know everything about Jesus, but he did know, and of course, Jesus' home was a real mystery. And eventually, one day, he walked with God, and they had walked so far that particular day, and it started to get dark, and Enoch said, you know, I really need to get home so I can get home safe. And the Lord looked at him and said, why don't you come home with me? And he changed him and took him home. You say, why did he change him? He changed him because in spite of the fact that he had walked with God for 300 years, he still had a sin nature. Now, I'll bet you a dollar, probably shouldn't bet in this church. Uh, I don't really bet. I say that all the time for some reason. I say, I bet you a dollar. I don't think this man had a life that we could criticize. He walked with God. And I believe, and th think about this, when you 
constantly try to please God moment by moment every day. You think an evil thought. You know what you want to do? You want to make that right with God. Didn't Paul say pray without ceasing? I mean, we could stop right here and just preach on this for the rest of the day and we'd be good. Uh, When bad things happen, we know to pray. But how about when good things happen? Something great happens. You say, do, do great things happen? My mother won a car one time. She went with my dad to the dealership to get an oil change. And while it was in there, they had just come out with OnStar. And they called my dad. He's in there talking, shooting a baloney with the sales guys because he knew them all. He was friends with them. And uh, they said, come over and try this OnStar thing. You get one shot at it. You push the button and you might win a car. He says, yeah, right. No, push the button. Push the button. Sorry, you didn't win. So they argued with my mother. They said, go push the button. She says, I ain't going to win nothing. Go push the button. The argument probably put her in the right spot of the queue. She gets in and she pushes the button. And she wins a brand new car. You know, good things happen to people sometimes. Of course, then you got to pay taxes on it. You know, so New York had to get involved after that for income taxes. You know, because a new car is income now. I don't know if you knew that or not. But the fact is... Uh, they were blessed, and so good things happen. When something good like that happens to you, or something, something that's not so big, but it's a good thing that happens, take time to thank God. Amen. Take time to thank God. A little good thing. Hey, I'm of the age now where I like boring. I don't even care if it wasn't an exciting day. If, if I went to work, did my work without a problem, didn't have anything that I made mistakes on, got home safely, got in, spent the evening with my wife doing whatever it is we had to do that day and got everything that I planned to do successfully done. And it was a very boring day otherwise. And I go to bed and pillow my head after a boring day, I can say, thank you, Lord. Nothing exciting happened. (laughs) You drive one day, you get a flat tire. Man, thank God that didn't happen today. You know, other things could happen. But I digress. I'm, I'm like killing, killing here on one, one thing. Enoch walked with God, and I'm telling you right now that the prayer life was, was of absolute importance. Now, I think that they actually had a physical walk, but uh, I'm not sure about that. I can't prove it because I wasn't there. But I believe he actually walked with them. I believe they walked and talked just like Jesus did with the disciples. That's my, my opinion. The second man is found here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, there's the other man who walked with God, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go see, go down to, to Kentucky and see the ark, that's pretty cool. That, that thing is pretty cool. You can see that thing from miles away. Imagine in Noah's day. He's building, a hot, he's building a boat on a hill. And he probably did build it on a hill. Hey, why not, you know? Let's see if the waters will get to it. And he's building this boat, and everybody around town and everybody for thousands of, or hundreds of miles away is laughing at him. Yeah, look at that clown. He's building a boat in the middle of nowhere. And I'm sure they used boats. There's, there's a lot of interesting boat technology that would have worked back in that day. <clears throat> and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have needed electronics to make it work. And, um, but he's building this boat and he's spending, who knows, 100 or 120 years building and it's big. 
And everybody's laughing at him. He does it anyways because God told him to. Well, what's this thing going to do, God? He says it's going to float. <laughs> From here? Yeah, I'm going to bring the water up that high. Okay, we trusted God. He trusted God. L listen, did it not take a lot for Noah to, to keep preaching the gospel and to build this boat and get laughed at? That takes courage. It takes courage to allow yourself to be laughed at. But this second man did what he was supposed to do. The third man is here, found here in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. He really didn't even know when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees to leave. He didn't know where he was going. God said, I want you to go to this land that I will show thee. Think about Sarah. Sarah's living, ladies, you've all got your houses. And most of you probably have a house that you've got pretty much made up the way you want it to be. And it's got 1,000 or 1,100, 1,200 square feet, maybe a couple thousand square feet. The average house in the Ur of Chaldees, I think, was somewhere around three to 4,000 square feet. How would you like to leave that to live in a tent? Live in a tent. Listen, we, we practice living in a motorhome. Guys, can I tell you something? If you ever buy a motorhome or a trailer, make sure you get slides. Because when there are no slides, there's no place to duck. If a plate comes down through there, I'm telling you right now, you've got no place to go. It's just a narrow shot, and she's not going to miss you. <laughs> We're buying slides on the next one. I can afford to be a little sassier then. They would live in tents for the rest of their days. And he would not even truly inherit in his day the land of promise, the land of Canaan. But he did what God told him to do. And we think of him as a great and blessed man, do we not? And you want to know, he's probably up in heaven saying, boy, look at that. He says, those Israelites have been in that land twice. He says, and they have to fight for that thing all the time. There's going to be a day they won't have to fight for it. There's going to be a day they won't have to fight for it. Here's this man is, not knowing where he's going, but he leaves his home. By the way, those houses back in Ur of Chaldees, they found out that they had hot and cold running water. Aren't we special? Forget it. They, they had it all. The fourth man, ex, uh, it, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, 23 by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Think about this, going against the will of the king, which was dangerous, certainly, and they did it anyways because they saw he was a proper child. Now, we could argue with that. Maybe they should have just done it because it was the right thing to do, but, but, uh, but God puts that in there. And then in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now stop right here for a minute. I believe what happened was, I think that Moses knew he was supposed to be the deliverer. But I think he, he might have got lifted up in pride or he might have just had his own opinion about how it should go. 
You might have your own opinion about how your service to God should be, but it might not be right. Moses wasn't right. He goes off into the, into the fields or the wilderness for 40 years, and he tends to sheep. He's got a nice, secure job. He's got a father-in-law that likes him, uh, lets him tend to the sheep. He get, takes the sheep. He's the boss of the sheep. And sheep don't talk back too much. Sometimes they're not very bright, and they're definitely not cooperative sometimes. It's almost like herding cats, I guess. But, uh, but the fact is, he's the boss. He just makes the next decision, and the next decision, and the next decision. Doesn't have to check in with anybody, and he just does it. Now, all of a sudden, God says, I want you to go. I want you to resign your position, <coughs> and I want you to go take a Baptist church. With three and a half million people. <laughs> you thought you've had it tough. <laughs> He's never complained about you folks. I'm just kidding. And all they do is murmur and complain. And finally, Moses gets fed up. In fact, if you read the life of Moses, in the, especially in the book of Exodus, but, but throughout, the, throughout the four books, you'll find that many times Moses and God, one of them will get fed up with dealing with the people and they'll look at the other one and say, your kids. How many times, husbands and wives, have we said, your kids? Your kids. Whoever finds out first blames the kids on the other one. But you're both complicit. But Moses will tell God, why have you afflicted me with this people? Another time, God will say, the people that you brought out of Egypt. It's like, I want to stay with the sheep, Lord. <laughs> but you know, God, Moses was always respectful with God. He really was. And he was honest with God. And when he prayed for help, God gave him help. But he didn't know what he was going to do. He was, he, he was told, oh, you got to go tell Pharaoh. Oh, the, the, the son of the guy that was trying to kill me before. And now you want me to go to this guy and tell him, let your people go? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Kind of preposterous. Imagine walking up to Kathy Hochul or Joe Biden. He'd forget that conversation anyways. But... Imagine walking up to them saying, you need to stop this right now. Who are you? And you know their position on God. They say, who is God? You know? Imagine us doing that. God hasn't led one of us to do that. I'm going to tell you something. Moses took on a job. The fifth man we want to talk about is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm going to try to keep this real simple, but there's a little math involved. The city had to be a certain diameter. If you figure, I think if you figure the city was a half mile in diameter, which I think it was bigger than that, but if you figure a half mile diameter and another quarter of a mile away so that nobody could hit you with whatever they're shooting off the walls, the perimeter or the diameter of the circle that the, that the um, uh, Israelites had to walk was at least three miles. Or what the, the diameter was one mile, so it had to be like 3.1 miles. That would be the bare minimum. 
Uh, I think that uh, it's bigger than that, but if you took that three miles, now walking three miles, not a huge deal for most of us, uh, although it's more of a deal for me nowadays, but you walk that once, and you might be tired. But you walk that six days, and you've walked 18 miles. Now, on day seven, God says, now you're going to walk it seven times. Three times seven is 21. I don't know about you, but when I get up to 21 miles, I'm not getting up to 21 miles. But I would be tired. And you would be tired too. These people walk that much, and it's probably a lot more than that. It's probably closer to 35 or 40 miles. And then, he says, then blow the trumpets. He gave them absolutely zero chance to win their battle. He goes to Joshua and he says, this is what you're going to do. And Joshua's probably looking at it and says, you know, I fought a few battles with some of the others. He says, we never fought a battle like this one before. Lord, are you sure about that? But what did, what did he do? We're not even told he asked God that. But I got to think in the back of his mind, it was roaming around and maybe there was a prayer or two saying, Lord, you think this is really going to work? Oh yeah, it's going to work. Now, I can say this, Joshua already knew that God could do some fantastic things because he watched all of the stuff from the time they got out of Egypt on. He saw all of that. So he had probably had pretty strong faith in it anyways, even though he's looking at it and saying, yeah, guys, it shouldn't work, but it will. And they win the battle of Jericho. The sixth man, over in... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 was told to give the king a message. 1 Kings chapter 17. And again, this is pretty gutsy. When you think about it, it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude and a lot of strength or maybe just a lot of spiritual strength to go and do something like this. But in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And then it happened. Three and a half year drought. Now I'd be afraid again. I think I would probably be talking to the Lord a lot and saying, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? But we don't have that conversation in here. We only see that Elijah did what he was supposed to do. And he goes to the king. He gives him the message. He's, he's told then to hide himself. He's then, in, then he's instructed. He says, go, he says, go by the brook Cherith, and I'll feed you, and I'll give you water from the brook, and then the brook dries up. Then he's instructed to go to a widow woman in the Syrophoenician nation, Sidon, and go to a widow woman there and get your, get your meal from her. She says, I'm out of food. He says, that's right, give me your, give me your last little bit. It's not going to fail. And it doesn't. And he teaches her the ways of God. He then leads, he, he then calls Ahab after three and a half years, tells him, get your prophets together, we're going to have a duel. He says, they're going to call on their God, I'm going to call on ours, on mine. He said, we'll find out whose God can answer by fire. 
And of course, he wins that battle. He wins a great battle. Why? Because he trusted God. He was not a great man because he was a great man. He was a great man because he trusted God. Now, the seventh man is actually a relatively small band of men who had a vision. The people had been abused by their government for some time. This people had tried to correct the problems by reconciling with the government. By the way, I am not talking about our present day. But these sound real familiar. This people truly feared becoming rebels because they understood that rebellion is wicked and these men were Christian men. These people stood unprotected by their government. Again, sound familiar? This people finally accepted the rejection of their government and proclaimed their freedom with God as their head. Let me take a few minutes and focus on these guys. Get my notes out here. I have to shift gears on my notes with this one. If I even have my notes here, it might get exciting. Mary, can you think of something real quick for me to say? Here we go. I left the notes in the front. Now let me say this. These men that I'm talking about now are the men that led us to become the United States of America. Okay? These men were not perfect men. They were not without sin. They had some problems that they had to overcome as well because they're men. But there is no question that you and I live in the greatest land that has ever been. Why, when so many countries have existed for so much longer a time, does the United States of America stand out so much? The key is not in our individual or collective greatness. The key is in the God that the founding fathers not only personally served, but chose to make the ultimate judge of their actions and motives as a nation. Without, without going into the scriptures, I'll give you a couple of scriptures you can look up later. The third U.S. president of, our, of the United States, the drafter and signer, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, who they always tell us was a deist and didn't believe in God. I don't know whether he knew the Lord as his Savior. But he said this, God, who gave us life, gave us liberty. And can the liberties of, by the way, you can write down 11, uh, 11, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. You can write that down if you want to check it up later. Our God is a God of liberty. And can the liberties of a nature, of a nation, that be thought secure when, they, when we have removed their only firm basis? Psalm 11, verses 1 through 3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay. They want to tell you in this day and age that these men were not godly men, but that they were deists because they want to remove the foundation of God in their lives. 
Let me start that again. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only basis? A conviction in the minds of the people. And by the way, this conviction is lacking in you and I sometimes as Christians. A, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. That they are not violated, but with his wrath. If you look up Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. John Adams, another signer. The Bible contains the most profound philosophy, the most perfect morality, and the most refined policy that ever was conceived upon earth. Folks, there are Christians today who leave that book closed. But John Adams is telling us that that's the way to it. His son, John Quincy Adams, says the Bible is of all books and of all books in the world that which contributes most to make men good, wise, and happy. Are you unhappy? Get in that book. <laughs> Lacking wisdom. President George Washington. Oh, President George Washington said this: It is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. Here's, a, here's another one. <clears throat> what's, what's Patrick Henry's famous quote that we... That's the one you all know, but that's not his greatest quote. His, by the way, I didn't learn that on my own. I, I learned this from somebody else, so I'm not smarter than you guys. I just, I, I just found somebody that knew this. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Amen. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Christ. Amen. On the gospel of Christ. President George Washington said this, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character, more distinguished character of Christian. John Adams said this, You will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. I sincerely think that he's probably looking and saying, mm -hmm. You didn't listen. The give me liberty or give me death Pat, uh, quote from Patrick Henry, Is life so dear or peace so sweet? as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Do you know why we value our freedom so much? Because we like to make our own decisions. I don't want to have to tell John what tie to put on in the morning. I'll leave that to Bonnie. <laughs> my wife doesn't even tell me. Well, I, get, I have total freedom, man. I can put on my own tie. She only tells me if I tie it too long or short. That don't look right. Okay, I'll fix it. 
He says, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Samuel Adams came across a little differently. He says, if you, if ye love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or your arms. We don't need you. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. Your dogs. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that you were our countrymen. That's our founding fathers. These men were Christians. They loved the Lord and they really didn't even want to be, they didn't want to rebel against, the, against England. They wanted to just be free to get about and they wanted to be taken care of in the right ways by their government and left alone in the right ways by their government. Now, before examining the eighth man, let's review this real quick. And honestly, I want a hot dog and a hamburger too, so I'm not going to keep you long. Before examining the eighth man, let's review the first seven with, associ- with the associated scriptures or memory, or history, I should say. The, his- the similarities of these men is each was called from a secure location. Security is a big deal for us. We want to be secure. Sometimes we will not step out on faith because we value our security. And sometimes that's there and God gives it to us to protect us. Because if we don't stop and think about it, you, become, you can become like the teenager that wears the t-shirt that says it seemed like a good idea at the time. I have been that teenager a couple of times. And I survived it. Each, number two, was called from their comfort zone. We, we develop a comfort zone, the, the things that we're comfortable with the things that we're okay with. And we don't like to come out of that comfort zone. I'll tell you, guys in the back, uh, that was my comfort zone. I'm glad you're not showing the video because I'm sure that you guys can't get it right, but most video makes me look very fat. Okay, and I think you guys ought to work to fix that. It's easier for you to fix it than for me to diet. I'd like, a, I'd like six inches as well. But that's, that, that would be, if I, if I was to operate in my comfort zone, I would still be in the sound booth in a church. Because that's, that was my comfort zone for many years. I could sit at the piano. I played piano in our church. I'd be at the piano when people started coming in. Guess what? You don't have to talk to anybody if you're at the piano. Now, at our church now, the church we're at now, if I'm playing a piano, that's like a magnet for all the guys that come over and they want to shake hands. Why? Because that's, all of our guys are twisted. They just like to bug the piano player. And so they come over and they want to shake hands while I'm playing piano. You can't play piano with two hands and shake hands and try to talk at the same time. I cannot talk and play at the same time. You saw evidence of that. Each of them was told to do something or go somewhere that they had not done or been before. Each one accomplished things that they had never dreamed of before. I'm sure that Moses didn't really have a concept of what was going to happen when he took the Israelites. I'm sure when he took them out of Egypt. 
I'm sure that he didn't know what to do next, and that's why many times you go to God and say, what do we do now? And God would say, this is what you do now. Okay. And they would do it, and it would work. So it got to be the point where the Israelites were going, oh, God brought us out here to die, and Moses just said, hey, God, what do we do? And God said, this is what you do. Okay, we'll do that. And they did it, and it worked. Each one accomplished things that they had never dreamed of before. Imagine some of the accomplishments that people have done in the Bible. A man praying and stopping the rain for three and a half years, and then he prays and fire falls from heaven right where he needs it, and nobody dies. It's like a nuclear bomb hits that stone and that water and that wood and that sacrifice burns it all up, turns it all to dust, dries it right up. And yet nobody nearby, including Elijah, gets hurt. Imagine building a boat. You can just picture this. Years ago, I used to watch a lot of TV, and there was a show called MacGyver. And MacGyver would put these things together, and then they would work, and he'd go, it worked. You know, he just, you'd see the look on his face every time. Oh, it worked. They imagine the look on Moses or Noah's face when they got in the boat and the rain came and it started moving around and they get all done and they get off the boat a year later and he looks up at that boat and says, it worked. It worked. Look, there was no testing. It was build it, get in, and go for a ride for a year. And it didn't break. And he survived. Each one of them was blessed for their faithfulness. But let me remind you of a little thought that I put in your mind at the beginning. Not one of them knew what you and I know now. If you've read this book, you already know what's going to happen when Elijah goes up before Ahab. If you've read this book, you already know that when God says to Noah, build the boat, hey, Noah's got to build the boat, and he's going to be a great man because he did what God said. But we don't stop to realize that when Noah laid down the first timbers for that boat, he had to be going, I wonder if this is going to work. But God told me to do it, so I'm going to trust him. Each one of these men did something and accomplished something great. You see, they're making history, not reading it. But can I tell you something? You're making history. Right now, today, you are making history. This might be the first day of a faithful return to to church, or you might be in your 35th year of going to church faithfully, but you're making history. You're accomplishing something every day when you're here. When you hand out a track, you may be handing out a track to somebody who will throw it away, and and somebody else might pick it up, and they might get saved, and you'll never know it until you get to heaven. You don't know what effect you're having right now in your daily life. By living a godly life, you might think that guy is never going to get right with God. There's no way on earth he's ever... Maybe it's maybe somebody who was a Christian that walked away. You say, well, what can I do for them then? Pray for them. By the way, a church this size, you ought to know everybody in this church. You ought to be friends with everybody in this church. And I know there's probably at least... There's got to be at least two personalities in this church that when you put them together, they're like two magnets trying to push away from each other. You say, why? Well, there's enough people here that that could be a possibility. I hope it's not. I hope that you guys are all at one. But can I tell you something? That person that that you and they repel one another the most, pray for them. 
because your attitude will change towards them. And if they're praying for the same thing, you'll find that you might like each other after a while. You might even learn to love each other. This eighth man can actually be a man or a woman, a couple, or a whole family. Because each of us at some time in our life is called to leave our worldly security. This does not necessarily mean the job that we hold at the moment, but it may mean that a certain part of our life, most likely that we hold dear or most important. Why? Because God wants you to give it your best, right? So what's he going to do? He's not going to take your exercise program away. Because nobody likes their exercise program. Well, nobody that looks like me does anyways. God's not going to take my exercise program. He's going to take something else that means more. And it might be that security of the job. It might be something else. But that thing that holds dear, when we put it in his control, he can then bless us for being faithful. We get called to leave our comfort zone. We get called to seek the Lord's face about what we should do. Look at Jeremiah 33. I know you know this verse. Your preacher's got to have preached on it about a bazillion times. How long have you been here, preacher? 20, 30 years? That long, huh? 36? You've been here as long as we've been, as Mary and I have been married. We were, we'll be 36 years next year. Oh, did you? There you go. It was a silly reason, but I guess whatever, whatever God uses to, to straighten you out, apparently it worked, so they've kept you all these years. Verse 3, Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not, things that you can't imagine, things that you can't think of, great things in your personal life and in your life as a, as a couple, as a family, as a church. Great things that can happen in your life because you call on the Lord. Now, you know what calling on the Lord is? That's praying. Remember this. If you obey Him, He will bless you. And remember that if you obey him, you don't need to fear what the next turn is. When I got in the car this morning, I put my life in my hands and my wife started driving. I put my life in her hands and she drove. Now, to be fair, there are times when she puts her life in my hands and she wishes she was still driving. So the truth is she's a better driver than I am. But the fact is when we came to a turn... We didn't fear what was going to come next because we knew the GPS, which most of the time they steer you right, but every now and then they can't be trusted. The fact is, when God's steering your life, you you can trust that the next turn's going to be okay. It might not be easy. You might get there and say, Lord, I'm not sure about this. We spent a lot of time in prayer last year. My parents both, both got real bad in the last couple of years, and they're both, in, they're both in heaven now. But can I tell you, we've had turned, we've had things that we've had to do, decisions we've had to make and everything, and there was a lot of time spent. Lord, what do we do now? And when God gives you the decision, tells you what to do, 
you don't have, spend a lot of time second-guessing yourself. You just get it done, and you find out that he blesses because of it. The same is true in our Christian walk. Imagine how many people you and I could see get saved because you and I took the right turn or the turn that he wanted us to take. That we went around the block three times, lost. Not lost spiritually, but lost because we didn't know where we were because somebody, God wanted you to go around that third time so that you would be there when somebody was there that needed you to stop and finally give up your manhood and ask for directions and you find out they needed to be saved. And you give them a gospel track and all of a sudden you find out that they're ready. They're just looking for somebody to introduce them to the Lord. That thing that frustrated you. But by allowing yourself to not get upset and not get all twisted, not do something stupid, allows you that open door with somebody. The journey to the unknown is where you and I sit every day. It's so much better being in that journey with the Lord guiding our steps. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. Lord, this message has been for Christians. But Lord, if there's one here that is not saved, I pray that they would come and that they would allow us to show them from your word how they can know that they're saved, how they can know that they can trust you as Savior and that they can go to home, they can have a home in heaven, secure a home in heaven. And Lord, for the Christian that's here who's been unsure of their next step, and sometimes you leave us a little unsure of our next step, and we have to keep going to you until you're ready to have us take that step. Help us to continue to be faithful while we're waiting for that direction. And for those of us that have uh, that know what we're supposed to be doing, Lord, help us to keep on doing it. And help us to keep trusting that on the next step, you're going to give us the right direction to go. Help us to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to be wholly yours, that you might wholly direct our lives. We thank you for this. We praise you for it. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.